0: You know, all of us have dreams. All of us are dreamers to some degree or another, and some of those dreams, they're, they're huge, right? Like dreams to travel the world or, or to even change the world, and some people dream of inventing something or or maybe starting a movement that will literally change the way people think about life, But but all of us dream, and some of those dreams are just big and huge and off the charts and... But other dreams are small, and maybe they seem insignificant to other people, but they're your dreams. you got a dream in life. And, you know, this may sound a little bit funny, but I have dreams. I have some pretty big dreams in life. Um, You know, one of those dreams is to grow something. And I don't mean just, like, to grow a church. I mean, I've been working on that for a long time, but I don't want you to laugh at this, but this is a true thing. I want to grow things. I want to figure out how to be, like, be a farmer seriously like a farmer I, I, I want to grow something because all of my life it's funny I'm a builder I built houses I built lots of houses and and they're beautiful and you can watch them and you go wow I built that but I have never been able to get to grow anything in life seriously I kill things this is a little bit embarrassing to say but I kill things I, I try to grow things like yards and plants and stuff like that but I kill them. I don't know what to do half the time. Uh, True story. One time I built this brand new house and it was beautiful. And and I thought to myself, you know what? We're going to live in this house. I'm going to do the yard right. And so I spent the entire summer grading the yard. I put the sprinkler system in. It, it looked like a golf course. I had, there wasn't like a straight line in the entire yard. Everything was like curved and it was so cool. My neighbors thought I was crazy. I even had to go out and I bought one of those lawnmowers because uh, that, like with the wheels that turn so that, uh, so that I could like go around all the curves. It was crazy, it was beautiful. And so when I had it all graded and all finished, ready to roll, I went out and bought sod for this yard, right? And so I, I, I go get the sod I'd lay it all out I spent like a couple weeks doing it it was beautiful it was perfect my neighbors even came down to my yard and they just went this is perfect right I mean it looked like a golf course I mean I'd never had a yard like this it was incredible and so we did the whole deal and we put fertilizer down the sprinklers were running so we had it down for a couple weeks and and it was vacation time so we went out of town we went camping for a a week or two and it was so exciting we were going out of town and uh, we, we come back and when we came back true story the entire yard I mean the entire yard was shriveled up brown dead as could be right I thought man the sprinklers must have died or something something must have broke with the sprinklers because It because doesn't have any water and, and so I go downstairs I check the sprinklers everything's fine the sprinklers work and I couldn't figure it out but this stupid lawn had completely died I mean I literally with tears in my eyes I had to roll up the entire lawn because it was all sod I rolled it all up and threw it into the woods it was crazy so I drive back down to the sod farm where I bought all the sod and, and I said uh I, I tell the guy, I go, my sod died. You sold me lousy sod. I'm all crazy, you know, and I'm like, what in the world happened? And he goes, well, where do you live? I said, well, I live in Taylor. He goes, well, I don't know. Taylor, we, we sell sod into Taylor all the time. It's fine. Well, what kind of dirt did you have? And I said, well, I bought really good dirt and put it down the whole nine yards. He goes, okay. And do you use fertilizer and all that? Yeah, yeah. Do you have a sprinkler? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm telling him all this, and he's like, I, I don't know why it died. He goes, well, tell me a little bit more about, you know, your house, the way it's laid out and all that. And I said, well, my house sits way back uh, in, in the woods. You see, I, I bought this woods and I cut, like, the, the trees down and I put my house way back in the wood. And he goes, so you got a lot of trees? And I'm like, oh, yeah, dude, I have hundreds of trees in my yard, just hundreds of them. And they're like, they cover my yard completely. And he goes, you idiot. It takes sun for the sod to grow. Grass needs sun. This grass needs sun. You got photosynthesis, remember, from high school, anything? And I was like, oh, so dumb, right? I've just never had good luck growing anything. So fast forward a few years, uh, we we get a new house. We're, We're living down in the country a little bit, and I have a whole nother issue in my life, okay? I've been trying to plant around here, trying to get all my trees to grow and everything like that, but I got a whole nother issue. And the issue is that my family loves blueberries, true story, my family loves blueberries, they probably, we, we buy like two to three hundred pounds of blueberries every year, my wife will drag us to the other side of the state just so we pick blueberries for eight hours, it's crazy, we spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars every year on blueberries, and you know how much blueberries cost, you get one of those little tiny pints and it's like two bucks, it's insane, we'll try buying like hundreds of them in a year, it's crazy, and so I decided, uh, that I'm going to do something about this. I am going to grow my own blueberries. And when I tell my wife this, I say, honey, I'm going to grow a blueberry plants for you. We're going to be able to pick them out of the yard. You want to drag me over to you know, Grand Rapids to pick them. It's going to be sweet. And she goes, but you can't grow anything. Nothing you do grows. It's going to be a flop. And I say, no, 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 no. I'm going to do this right. So I go on the Internet, and I learn. I study. I, I figure it all out. And, and, and so I planted a whole blueberry patch. So this may seem a little bit... You know, weird to do in church but i want to show you my blueberry patch i think this is pretty cool so so come check this out I'm, I'm pretty excited about my blueberries i love my blueberries i've become kind of fatherly with my blueberries see this is our side yard and from what i understand it is perfect to grow blueberries see, you see i did all the research online and blueberries need all kinds of sun and and, and so the problem with our yard though is it's a hundred percent clay it's like rock hard rock and clay. That's what it is. And so a buddy of mine came over from church, a great guy, and he's got this big old tractor with an auger and he digs all these holes for us. So he digs us 50 holes. And this is our little blueberry plant, right? This is our patch. And and I'm so proud of this patch. Do not mock my blueberry patch. This is beautiful, right? Uh, This is going to save me hundreds of dollars eventually. Not at first, though, because I've spent a lot of money getting these things to grow. Uh, But the research is interesting on this stuff. They need all kinds of things. So I have done everything I can to help these guys grow. And yet I have lost, uh, I think, 13 plants so far. So I went out and bought new ones and put them back in because I'm going to have a perfect blueberry patch one day. And so it's interesting what it takes to make these things grow. You got to have the good dirt. And we went out and bought good dirt. We bought farmer's dirt. I never even heard of such a thing, but there's like this farmer's blend of dirt and it's got organic stuff in there that all makes it grow. And, and I even read online that. Uh you, you, you put coffee grounds. I'm not a coffee drinker, but a lot of people here at Metro are coffee drinkers, and we got this little place called Baxter's. And so I went into Baxter's. I said, I need all your coffee grounds, like, for, like a whole bunch of them. So they gave me these huge tubs of coffee grounds, and I mixed it in with all the soil, and I come out here, and I water them, and I, and I talk to them, and I, and I caress them. And I mean, these are like my little baby girls here. I mean, I love these things, and, and yet I've lost 13 of them. So we go on vacation, right? And uh, we go out of town, and and I don't care about our house. I don't care about any of our stuff. I just call my family, and I say, hey, you got to go over and water my blueberry plants because I don't want any of them to die. So I get back from vacation, and all of them were alive except for one. This little guy right here has died. And I don't understand. It looks like a twig now. It's not even a blueberry plant anymore. I'm hoping it's alive, but I don't think it's alive anymore. I mean, it's like all broken off and it's dry and it just snaps and it's dead. Now, what's weird is I don't understand what exactly it takes to make a blueberry grow. I don't understand what it takes to make anything grow hardly, right? I mean, I've done everything I could and yet a whole bunch of them have died. I've replanted and some of those died. And I do everything I can I come back and this guy is dead. I don't understand it, but I will tell you one thing I do understand. I I think there are some things that make us grow. And I think there's some things that make us alive. I don't mean just our bodies, I mean our souls. I, I think there are some things in life that make our souls come alive. And I think there are some things that make our souls die. And let me tell you something. I want a soul that grows. And I want our souls to grow. I want us to become alive unto God. And so we're going to talk today about taking some next steps toward God. What are some of the things that we have to do in order to grow our souls? Because listen, the very first thing that we have to want is to grow. The very first desire we have to have is to grow in our walk with God, to know him more, King David says this in the Book of Psalms thousands of years ago. He says, "My soul yearns for you, O God. My heart pants for you like a deer pants for water. My my heart desires you, O God." That needs to be our desire. That's the starting place for our spiritual growth. Well, I think uh, if, if you think about this, I, I think perhaps one of the reasons that some people just make it in life and other people don't is because of the want-it factor, the want-it factor. I mean, if you think about it, it doesn't really matter what area of life you're talking about, but, but you look at some people and they just find success and other people just seem to struggle all the way through life and, and yet there's very little difference between them. Much of the time, there's very little difference in the sense of education, in the sense of opportunity or talent, but there's, but there's a different factor that seems to be at work that determines oftentimes success or failure. And you know what that is? It's what we're going to call the want it factor. you got to want it sometimes in order to succeed, almost in any area of life. I mean, you think about athletics, right? You think about the top athletes in the world. They're among other top athletes in the world, and yet there are some that rise to the top because they have something different. They have a want it factor that takes them to the next level of performance. You think about uh, companies. There are some companies that somehow just figure out how to outperform everybody else. There's something different about them. There's a want it factor in there that takes them to the next level as a company. And you even think about marriages or families or relationships or friendships. Uh, If you want it bad enough, you will succeed. You'll figure out. It out. There's there's this thing called the want it factor, and in order to become something, you have to want to become something. You you gotta be willing to to put the work in, you gotta be willing to make the sacrifice, you gotta be willing to risk much, to stand against resistance. You you gotta be willing to, to start over even in the face of utter failure. You gotta want it in order to become it. Let me say that again, you gotta want it in almost any area of life, in order to become it. And the it is never easy. Nothing, this is how life works. This is just what I noticed, that nothing that is worth it is easy. Everything that is worth something takes effort. It takes real work to make it happen in your life. Have you seen this? Is this true? That it takes work for anything that's good in life. It takes work to make it happen. And friends, let me tell you something. This is what I'm learning in my relationship with God. It's the exact same thing. If I want to become all who God wants me to become, I got to want it. That's where it starts. I got to desire it. I got to want it enough to work at it. I got to want it enough to make a sacrifice. I got to want it enough to risk much. I got to want it enough to stand tall in the face of adversity. I got to want it enough even to start over When I fail, and friends, I would say the same is true of your relationship with God. You will never become all that God wants you to become if it doesn't start with a burning desire in you to know him, to love him, to pursue him, to want more of him in your life. That is where it begins. Every single time, you got to have a want it factor in your relationship with God. Now, let me take you into a story of a man who just got to a point in his life where he said, if God is real, and if this whole Jesus thing is legit, he comes to this point where he says, I am all in. I'm not going to hold back anymore. I'm going to go where he wants me to go, become what he wants me to become, do what he wants me to do. I'm going to. He says, literally, I'm going to take a walk of a lifetime. I'm going I'm to do it. I'm going to want it. I'm going to have that want it factor. He comes to this point in his life, and and I have to admit, when we read through this story, that it's going to sound a little crazy to some of y'all. And, and that's okay. It's, it's going to sound more like fiction than fact at times. It, it's going to um, sound um, just kind of out there and, and miraculous because, because honestly, nobody in this room has ever done what this man has done. And nobody in this room has ever even seen anybody do what this man has done. And so when we start reading it, I'm going to say to you, it's okay if you go, oh, I'm not so sure I believe that. I'm not so sure that that's the, the, really a true story. Now, let me tell you something emphatically. I believe it is true. I believe the scripture is all true. And, and I believe this for myself. It's true. But even if you, as we're reading through this, go, I'm not so sure I believe this, that's okay. We can work on the belief thing later. We can work on the faith thing later. But do not miss, listen to me, friends, do not miss what God wants to teach you about your life through this little story, whether you believe the miraculous side of it or not. Don't miss what he's trying to communicate to us through this story. Now, if you're like me at all, um, you, you live in your life in this struggle somewhere between faith and fear, am I right? You live between risk and and comfort you know, between stagnation and growth. You you want to grow. You want to become something oftentimes more. You want to become something different, dare I even say better in your life. But but you're stuck because somewhere else can be scary. To try something else can, can can be can be scary to you. And so you live kind of in this in this middle ground. And that's why this story of this man catches me. It literally blows my mind because I've wondered a thousand times. If, if I would be like the man named Peter who, who one day uh, is, found himself so drawn to Christ, so wanting a relationship with Christ, so desirous of following him, that literally, listen friends, he steps off the side of a boat into a raging blackened sea. And there was no lifeline, there was no life vest, There weren't even those little cute floaty things that we give our kids at the whale pool when they're little. Nothing. He just steps off the boat into a raging sea. And listen, friends, he walks on the water toward Christ, who was already walking on the water. And so let me just take you through a little journey here, and I know this is going to sound a little bit crazy, but it's found in the book of Matthew, in the gospel that records the account of Jesus' life. It's found in the book of Matthew, chapter 14, starting in verse uh, 22, and we're going to kind of go through this. If you've got a Bible or a smartphone, you can turn there, but we're just going to land on a few key verses, and I'm going to talk them through with you a little bit, but but I'm going to tell you something, friends. Um, This is the account of the only two water walkers that the world has ever known. The only account of the only two water walkers that the world has ever known. So, Matthew 14, starting in verse 22, records that Jesus uh, just completed a massive feeding program. Now, you go back and check it out. It was a massive feeding program, and there's a little twist in the end of it. You go back and read that for yourself. But needless to say, they had spent the whole day serving these huge crowds of people. Uh, they were tired. They were worn out. The day was kind of coming to a close. And, and Jesus insists, he, he commands his closest followers, called disciples, he, he commands his closest followers to get in a boat and to travel across the Sea of Galilee, which is a very, very, very large-scale lake. And and, and Jesus decides that he's not going to go with them, but that he is going to go off into into the the wilderness area just to pray, just to be alone with God, just to have some time alone with his heavenly father. And so they get into the boat, the 12 disciples, they get into this boat and and they do not have him with them. They get into the boat without him. But my guess is that Peter and the others, especially Peter, uh, he doesn't mind this at all. I mean, for crying out loud, he's a fisherman. He probably likes boats. He probably likes the lake. He's probably used to it. He's comfortable there. And so he gets in, and, 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 it's, and it records that, that, that this wasn't a normal occasion, though, because it wasn't just another trip to the beach, another trip to the lake, but it records that a, a massive storm blew in. Not just a little drizzle, not just a little oh, pretty lake you know, kind of uh, rain. No, no, no. this was one of those Lake Michigan kind of storms, if you've ever been there, where the waves are crashing. It's, and you're going, I'm not so sure I should even be out here, let alone out in the water. And so it records in, in one of the gospel translations, it records this phrase that says that, that it was so rough that the disciples were tormented by the storm, that it was so violent that they were tormented by the storms. Very interesting. Here's what it says in verse 24 in the NIV translation. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen against them and they were fighting the heavy waves. And I got to admit it, this would freak me out. <clears throat> I like the lake, but I love land. I mean, I, lo- I love going to the lake. I mean, it's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, but I would not find myself out in the middle of Lake Michigan in the middle of a storm on a little boat. I just wouldn't. I just have no interest in that. I like land far too much, and yet it says that these guys, these boys were far away from land, and they found themselves in deep trouble. It was so violent that the only thing they could do is just keep their boat afloat, that they, 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 they were trying to preserve their life. And then the scripture records something very interesting. It's an interesting detail. It says that it was about 3 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock a.m., <clears throat> excuse me. And my guess is that these exper- uh, experienced boat people um, they didn't plan to be out in the middle of the large sea, in a small boat, in the middle of the night, in the middle of a big storm. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, any experienced boater would say you don't plan like that. So this caught them unaware. Now think about it: they're at the end of their work day. Uh, they set off in the evening to cut across the, the, the lake. Uh, what turned it? You know, what was supposed to be a couple-hour trip ends up taking half the night, and they're not even there yet. They're in the middle of the lake, and so they're fighting just to stay. Alive, And then one of the disciples notices um, this kind of shadowy figure moving toward them on the water. Now think about this. Get this in your mind. They, they're out there, there's, there's winds, and they see this like shadowy figure, and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Did you see what I just saw? Did you see that? I didn't see that. Oh, okay. And they go back to rowing. Wait, over there. Do you see it? They, they, it records that they see this shadowy figure moving closer, and then eventually they figure out that it's a human form, walking on water kind of like you do, not do, right? So take a moment and let that image sink in. The disciples were in great distress, and the very person who could help them, they eventually figure out, is approaching them. But he's not in a boat. He's boatless, walking toward them. Now, what's amazing is that the disciples at first were convinced that it wasn't Jesus, that it was a ghost figure. Uh, They weren't sure who it was. They couldn't make it out. And and so eventually they they cry out uh, in great fear, the scripture records. And which is funny to me because, like, I'm thinking, like, if I'm in the middle of the sea and it's a raging storm and I'm in a little lifeboat with 12 other people and I don't even have an engine with me, I'm like, I'm already crying out in fear. But it records that they don't cry out in fear until the ghost is seen. I'm thinking I'm dead when I see a ghost. All right? Uh, but these guys cry out, which I just think is funny to me. And now think about this. This is what, what they say uh, Matthew 14, 26, it says, But they cried out, it's a ghost. It's a ghost, right? Now, I just want you to think about this for a second. How could they have failed to realize that this was Jesus? Who else would be walking on water? I mean, really, you spent your last three years of your life with, the, or last couple of years of your life with this guy. You've seen him heal, heal the blind, heal the lame. You saw him turn water into wine. You just spent the day in a massive feeding program that started with two fish and five loaves of bread. And you fed 5,000 people. Who else is walking on water? But it takes him a minute to kind of figure this out, right? And look what happens next. Jesus. Uh, wants to uh, wants them to know who's really in charge in this moment. Think about the compassion of Jesus in the middle of this very intense situation. He he says to them in in in, the, in verse twenty seven he says, "Don't be afraid." I love that. Don't be afraid. I'm like I'm afraid. He says, "No no no no. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here." That's all you got? That's the only response? You've obviously never been in the middle of a storm where Jesus speaks into your soul and says, I am here. Someone needs to say amen or something, right? But he says to them, I am here. And I think, friends, what he wants us to know is he says, you know what, you may feel like you're in the boat alone, that I'm not there, but I am there. I am never far from you, Never. I never abandoned you. I never let you walk alone. I am with you. And he he reminds them, take courage. I'm with you. I'm here. And he reminds them that that he can be trusted, that he's competent. And he he says, I've delivered you before and I will deliver you again. And it's interesting to me that Matthew, the writer here who records this whole thing, he records this little detail. He says at 3 a.m., 3 a.m., Now, why would he take the moment to even put a time and a stamp onto this? I think he's wanting us to know something. That in the middle of the night, in the night of your life, in the blackness of your life, in the storm of your life, that is where God shows up. I mean, if you were to track through the pages of Scripture, it is unmistakable that God meets us best in the middle of adversity, God meets us best in the middle of pain. He does his deepest work inside of us in the middle of suffering and hurt and disappointment. And God's greatest desire is always to do a work inside of you. And so perhaps, friends, this is why he allows adversity to come into our life. Perhaps this is why he allows suffering and pain to come into our life. So that at 3 a.m. in the morning, when it is dark, you will know You will know he's with you, amen? And so think about this, there are 12 guys in this boat. Now, we don't know what 11 of them do, but we know what one of them does, right? Uh, we know what Peter does. Peter is about to become a water walker. He, he recognizes that, that God is in this moment. He, he recognizes that, listen, that this is an opportunity, listen, for spiritual growth in his life. He, he recognizes this is an opportunity to move toward Christ, to become something that he's always longed to become, to become deeper, to become more intimate in his life with God, to become a better follower of Christ. And, and what's interesting is what Peter says here. In, in verse 28, he, he blurts out this, he, this water walker, soon-to-be water walker, blurts out to the original water walker, and he says this. He says, Lord, listen, he asks this question, Lord. If it is you, Lord, if this is real, if you're, like, you're there and I'm here and this boat thing is like going down, if you're out there and I'm over here and there's a storm between us, but if it is you, listen, he says, tell me to come to you walking out on the water. And why does Matthew include this, friends? Why, why doesn't Peter just jump off the side of the boat and go? Well, friends, I think, it's, I think it's a very important reason. I want you to hear me on this. This is not just a story of risk-taking. It is a story of risk-taking, but it's not just a story of risk-taking. It is primarily a story about a man's obedience to a call in his life. It's not a story of risk only. It's a story of obedience. Will you follow what God calls you to follow? You see, friends, this means that, that I have to discern... Between an authentic call of God in my life, between that and just being foolish, just running after something on impulse or or just thinking that, oh, this would be a really cool idea, right? Courage alone is not enough. It must be accompanied by wisdom and discernment. And Matthew is not glorifying risk-taking for its own sake of risk-taking. Jesus is not looking for this like bungee jumping, hang gliding, day trading, tornado chasing guy in a pinto, Right? He's looking for something more. Listen, water walking for Peter is not some sort of extreme sport. This is about extreme obedience. This is about extreme fellowship. This is about extreme discipleship. It's about where you want your life to go. And will you answer the call when God leads you? It's about obedience, friends. I want you to put yourself in Peter's place in a moment. He, he's really stuck between a rock and a hard place because he's in a boat where he has very little confidence that this boat is going to stay afloat. And yet, the only other option is to get out of the boat and to go where Jesus is. What an incredible choice to have to make. And sometimes, anybody in the room ever feel between a rock and a hard place? Where, where you don't like what's going on now, but you don't like the alternative? Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> This is Peter. But let me tell you something, friends. This is what we're learning here. But but if you don't get out of the boat, listen, if you don't get out of the boat, there is a guaranteed certainty that you will never, ever walk on water. Did you hear that? Let me just say that again, because I think some of you missed that. If you don't get out of the boat, there is a guaranteed certainty that you will never walk on water. Water. Now, John Ortberg, um, he he, he wrote this book called If You Want to Walk on Water, You Gotta Get Out of the Boat. It is a great book. I'm taking many of the thoughts from his book. It is so good. You gotta go back and read this book. But this is what he says about this idea of getting out of the boat. Listen to what he writes. He goes, this is an immutable law of nature. If you wanna walk on water, you gotta get out of the boat. I believe that there is something or someone inside each of us who tells us that there is more to life than just sitting in the boat. That you were made for something more than just merely avoiding failure in life. There is something inside of you that wants to walk on water, to leave the comfort of routine existence and abandon yourself to what? To the high adventure of following God. God has somehow put this inside of you to want more of Him. You got to figure out how to desire it. You got to figure out how to want that. And, And so let me just ask you a very important question, friends. Very important question. What is your next step with God? What is your next step? What will help you to grow? friend? seriously, what is it that is standing between you and God? Or what is it that God's calling you, you to, to, to become, to do, to, to think different about, to, to go somewhere? What is, it, what is your next step to grow in your relationship with God. I love the way John Orberg says it. He, he says it like this. He, he says, what is your boat that you're already in that you probably shouldn't be in? He says it like this, your boat is whatever represents safety and security to you apart from God himself. Your boat is whatever you are tempted to put in uh, your trust in, especially when life gets a little stormy. Your boat is whatever keeps you so comfortable that you don't want to give it up, even if it keeps you from joining Jesus out uh, out on the water. Your boat is whatever pulls you away from the high adventure of fully following Jesus with your life. You know, Some of you have been a part of Metro for for years. You've been coming here for years. And if you were to be honest, you would admit you're just stagnant in your life. That you haven't become all that God has called you to become. And truthfully, that maybe you're not even working so hard on it. Friends, what is going to change that? Do do, do you want to, live in this stagnant kind of spiritual condition? Do you want just enough of God to keep you happy enough just to come back for another week? Or do you really want more of him? Or is it just a song that we sing? Some of us will never, ever, ever have the adventure of fully knowing Christ, fully walking with him, fully being used by him because we're so content to sit in our comfortable little chair. And don't push me too hard, Pastor, or I'm going to leave. Friends, that is no way to know God. It is no way to get to know Him. I think every single person in this room needs to hear. Uh, Jesus' response to Peter. Remember, so Peter, you can just picture this, right? I mean, the, the waves and the boats crashing down and everything's going crazy and they, they see this person. Now it's, it's kind of clear what's going on because they're close enough to talk and Peter, you can just see him. Like, he's at the edge of the boat and he's stepped up on the edge and he's clinging on. You know, he's just got his hands locked. Have you ever, like, gone to, like, a diving board? Anybody, when you were a kid? When you were a kid, you ever, like, get to them and you go, like, I'm gonna do this. And then you get to the edge and you go, ooh. Right? Anybody? Is it just me? I'm checking. Okay. So this is what Peter was experiencing. He's at the edge. And and it's funny because all of his friends are there and they're like, yeah, Peter's like mouthed off like a hundred times. This isn't legit. He's just like all ramped up again. That's just how he rolls, right? And he's wondering, what is he going to do? And Peter leans out and he goes, Lord, I want more of you in my life. I want to be where you are. This is a big opportunity for me. If this is you, you tell me to come. And I think every single person in this room needs to hear Jesus' words. Two simple words, but they are life-changing. He says, yes, come. I mean, those are beautiful words right there. I mean, does anybody else sense the power in those words? Yes, come. Come well, no, this is the way my life has always been. No, 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 no. You you need to come over to me. No, no, I, I struggle right here because I've always been addicted to this thing. I, I just don't think I'm ever gonna beat it. No, 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 no. Yes, come, you. Come to me. You have to get out of your boat that's shaking already. It's already going to go down. You know you can't trust this boat for very long. You might as well get out of the boat and come to me. Well, my marriage has always struggled. I don't think I'm ever going to get around this. I think it'd be just better if I went down with the ship. No, 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 no. I can fix things. You come to me. I, I remember one time uh, Jesus was speaking um, to a bunch of overburdened, overworked, soulless people, soulless. And he says to them, If any of you is heavy burdened, if any of you is weary, you come to me and I will give you rest. I will help you to become what you cannot become on your own. I will carry for you what you cannot carry for yourself. I'll help you to go where you can't end up on your own. Yes, come. Yes, come to me. That's beautiful, friends. That's the invitation. That's the call that Christ puts out for us. And then Peter, in this moment, he, he does something rather religious and crazy. Whew. Whew. All right. And he steps. Whoa, 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 whoa. And just for a moment... He walks on water. He's staying afloat. And he's like, see, fellas, what up? Right? He's like, he thinks he's got it going on just for a moment because he does have it going on. And then something catches his attention, which is, shouldn't have been a surprise to him at all, right? But the scripture records that he looks around and he sees the storm. But I'm like, going, you were in the storm already. You were fine in the storm before. You were in the storm before. What's the big deal? You're in the storm out here, but now you're on top of the water, and that's a good thing to me. But the scripture says that he sees the storm and he begins to sink. What's interesting to me is that the storm was already there, but somehow and in some way, he takes his eyes off the Savior and he puts them on the storms of life. I don't know if you've ever done that but I have. Anybody? And then when you start to try to self-manage and you try to self-figure it out and you start to try to self-improve and you start to push God out of the equation. Maybe it's just me, maybe I'm just a loser but everything just goes down. Jesus says, "You come." but you keep your eyes fixed on me friends listen fear and growth go together always listen fear and growth go together risk and growth go together resistance and growth go together failure and growth go together they're like macaroni and cheese or like peanut butter and jelly you can't separate them and they just go together this is how god has designed us to know him best through fear, through, through resistance, through failure, this is how God has designed us to know him best. And so this means if you're going to follow in the way of Jesus, friends, you've got to decide that comfort is no longer your highest value. You've got to decide. You've got to want it in order to have it. You've got to decide to run after Christ no matter the cost in your life no matter what he's calling you to do whatever he wants you to change whatever he wants you to become if you want it it's going to take some work in your life it's got to become the greatest want in your life you know uh, the other 11 dudes in the boat uh, they, I guess we could call them boat potatoes right couch potatoes, boat potatoes, right It's true. They were satisfied with watching faith at work in somebody else. But they were not willing to do anything on their own. They were not willing to take steps with God, toward God, toward God, and with God. They were content to watch. And friends, let me tell you something. There are millions of people who go to church every single week, and we could call them pew potatoes, or in our church, chair potatoes, Well, you're content to walk in here and watch somebody else's faith burn and to do very little to grow your own soul. You're content to watch somebody else talk about faith and you're content to not live it out in your own life, to not serve him, to know him, to pursue him with your own life. And friends, that is a horrible, horrible way to live. You will miss all that God wants for you and from you. And let me tell you something, friends. If you, I want you to hear me on this. I'm not trying to beat anybody down. I'm, just, I'm pleading with you to want God's best for your life. If you, if you continually refuse to listen to his leadership for your life, some of you come here every week and you know what God wants you to do, to get involved in, to change, to repent of, to give up in your life, or to bring into your life. But if you continue to avoid it, if you continue to not listen to it, eventually that, that voice in your life that comes from the spirit of God will become less and less and less. It'll come to the point where it no longer speaks to you. And that is a scary place to end up where God is no longer calling you and driving you for more. So you want you go back to Peter here uh, to think about this a little bit. Did Peter fail? I mean, did Peter fail? Well, I suppose in a, in a sense he did. He didn't have enough faith to keep walking. He didn't have enough faith to stay on top of the water. He took his eyes off the Savior and looked at the storm. I, I, he, he sank after all. Yeah, he failed in some ways. But I think, and I don't mean to be mean by saying this, but I think sitting on that boat were 11 way bigger failures. You see, Peter failed publicly, but the other 11, they failed privately in their own soul. They they, they failed privately. They, They failed unnoticed, unobserved, uncriticized. They failed because they refused to grow in their life. They failed because they refused to take the next steps that would lead them toward Christ. Only Peter Knew the shame of public failure. But let me tell you something, friends. Every single person on that boat knew private failure. And private failure may seem easier in the moment, but I'm going to tell you something. And you probably already know this. Private failure is never easy to live with, is it? Come on, am I right? Anybody ever live with private failure? When you know in your soul that you are not who God wants you to be, and you live with that every single day, it is not an easy way to live. Sure, Peter goes out and fails in front of the whole world, and we read about it 2,000 years later. But there's a bigger failure when it's failure in private, simply because we refuse to grow. We refuse to become all that God wants us to become, to take next steps toward Him. And listen, friends, this is the vision of our church. This is what we want Metro to be. We want Metro to be a modern church that helps people take their next steps toward God. We, we want a church where all people, no matter who they are, no matter where you've been, no matter if you've been in the church world for a long, long time trying to follow Christ, or, or if you're brand new to this whole thing and you're not even sure that God is real or that Christ is real or anything, anybody in between, we want to be a church where everybody takes next steps with God and toward God and toward God and with God. That's what we want to be. We want to grow. And so, so I want to challenge you. I want to invite you to, to a commitment with me, a very tangible commitment, one that every single person in this room, young and old, can make. I'm going to invite you, challenge you to commit to grow with me. And we're going to put some legs to this. We want to, we're going to try something brand new in the life of our church. And I'm asking you to trust me. I'm asking asking you to get on board. I'm asking you to clear your schedules and make this a priority in your life. Some of you've been around long enough to know that we do these things called core sessions. And core sessions are incredible. It's deep biblical teaching, but but honestly, after doing it for a couple of years, we've had hundreds of people involved, which is really a cool thing. And they're great. But they weren't achieving what we really want to achieve as a church. You see, as a church, we want to grow. And we want to get people together. We want to group together. And then we want to teach people to go into the world. We want them to grow, group, and go. That's what we want. And so we're going to do something crazy. And I'm asking you to trust me on this. We're going to get rid of core sessions for a while. And we're going to launch a brand new thing starting in October. Every Wednesday in the month of October, four Wednesdays in a row, we're going to do this thing called Next Step Sessions, where every single person, no matter who you are, we are trying to figure out these sessions that can help, take your next, help you take your next steps with God. And so we're going to offer kind of like a college format where you register for classes. We're going to get our best communicators involved. We're going to get our best teachers involved. We're going to get incredible material. And we're going to have a wide variety of material, something for every single person, young and old, and everybody in between in in this church can get involved and find their next steps with God. And so we're going to have sessions about your next steps in your marriage. We're going to have sessions about parenting where you can take your next steps in your parenting. We're going to have next steps about personal spiritual leadership for your life and how to become a better influencer for the kingdom of God. I'm going to teach that one. It's going to be good. I'm telling you right now. Well, you can grow. We're going to have, we're going to have next step sessions about people who are just figuring out this Christian walk. We're going to take the baby Christians among us and say, here are some steps that you can take that will grow your faith. We're going we're to have a, a group about that, that, that answers skeptics' questions. So if you're a skeptic and you're really not even sure there's a God or if you got um, a lot of big questions rattling around or, or maybe you just want to know the evidences of your faith, we're going to have a, a group that's designed to just to help give you the meat of why we believe what we believe. These are going to be incredible. And we're going to ask that you sign up starting in two weeks. We're going to have these available for you. We're going to ask that you sign up and we're going to ask that you commit to them for four simple weeks of your life. Because my guess is, I don't know this for sure, but my guess is everybody in here wants to grow. That's why you came to church. So you might as well grow your soul. And it's my job to help figure out a way, and I've done a lousy job in some ways to do this, but I want to help figure out how to grow our souls. And I'm going to ask that you commit to this. I can't do this for you. You got to commit every Wednesday in the month of October, we're going to be together And we're going to do our very best to take next steps. Who's with me? Come on. Who's with me? And these groups are going to be great because we're going to purposely keep them small, limited, because we want them to be interactive. And we're going to have some groups that are designed to be a little bit bigger to overflow. But our hope is that most of these groups are 20 to 30 people because you're going to have homework. You're going to have things to do and to go, right? We're going to group together, then we're going to go. We're going to make our lives better and different we're going to figure out how to take next steps with God so plan on that now let me just end with this let me just go back to Peter real quick you know you get this idea you know like Peter a lot of people can man that guy really screwed up I mean that guy had it all going on and he just sank in the moment you know I don't don't think so I think at the end of the day Peter had something that most of us will never know certainly the 11 in the boat didn't know I mean, think about this for just a moment. He knew, he knew the glory of God's power that enabled him to take steps on water. Come on. That's amazing to me. I mean, some of us in this room, you've had these moments in your life Where you prayed like crazy and you were like, God, I don't know how I'm gonna get out of this. I don't know if this can ever be fixed. I don't know that what's gonna happen here, but I need you to do what I cannot do. And somehow and in some way, God came in and he did what you could not do for yourself, and you just go, and there's something in your soul that was elevated in that moment. I can't imagine right now, Peter, in this moment, he's like, I must, I must have sunk, fellas, but at least I had my moment. I had my moment. Let me tell you something, that moment carried him the rest of the way in his life. It enabled him to take another step and another step and another step and another step and and he didn't back down. And I think here's the second thing with Peter. When he's sinking, the scripture records that he cries out a second time, the first time because there was a ghost, but this time he says, Lord, Lord, Help me. He knew the goodness of God reaching toward him and lifting him when he could not lift himself. And friends, when you take steps, when you decide to grow and you don't know how it's going to work out, in that moment when you're down and you're sinking and he lifts you, there is a divine connection there. There is a moment right there where you know God at his best. And that carried Peter. And that will carry you. That will carry you. Trust him. Take next steps. Decide right now what you need to do to grow. Decide to grow with us as a church. Come to these next step sessions. That's what we're gonna do corporately. You have stuff to do privately, individually, but that's what we're gonna do corporately together. all of us we need to grow amen let's pray so father we come before you um, just humble um, asking that your spirit would speak to us every single person in this room I'm quite confident um, knows what their next step ought to be speak oh god speak to us right here, right now in this place. Help us to know you. We want to hear your voice in our life. In Jesus' name we say amen. Amen. Um, Hey, before we get out of there, uh, out of here, let me me just say two things to you please. Um, Number one, if God is speaking to you and you want somebody to pray with, don't just rush out of here. Let us pray with you. We're a church. We pray. It's kind of crazy. But we believe that God can do what you cannot do for yourself. And all we want to do is lift up whatever it is in your life. Good thing, bad thing, anything in between.